Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Ephesians chapter 5. Tonight's lesson, self-discipline and family management. So even though we are going to talk uh, in and out about the family and uh, marriages and kids, we're also going to talk about things individually. All of it applies. So don't think that this doesn't include you if you're not married or have a spouse. By the way, not only is it important for you to understand individual things we'll talk about in this study tonight, but also... If God would have you to be married in the future, then you should obviously have some better understanding of things you need to know. Be really good for our younger people tonight to get a hold of this, because I promise you, I wish I'd have had teaching like this when I was their age, to know these things ahead of time. So we're going to go into a teaching tonight of self-discipline and family management, starting in Ephesians 5, number one on your notes, Christ must be, underline that, Christ must be, first and the absolute head of the marriage union and the home in order to enjoy his full benefits. Christ must be first and the absolute head of the marriage union and the home. What if I'm not married? You still have a home. You have a place you go to, a place you live. He needs to be the absolute head of that home in order to enjoy his full benefits. What goes on within your home, what goes on within relationships, etc.? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. If you're there, say, I'm there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. There's no question Christ is the head of the church. The question is, is the church in relationship to your home or your individual life subject to him? He is the head of the church, but it's up to us to place ourselves in a position of subjection to him as our head. So again, husbands are the head of their wife as Christ is the head of the church. And he, Jesus, is the Savior. He's the Savior. He's the deliverer of the body. 25 that we shouted about tonight. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Drop down to verse 31. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 32. This is a great mystery. This is a great hidden truth. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. In other words, it was a hidden truth. Marriage of how to make it work biblically was a hidden truth until Christ came and now has related to us the church. It was a hidden truth, but I now reveal it to you, speaking to you of Christ in the church. 33, nevertheless, let each one of you, husbands in particular, so love his wife as himself. Why? Well, think of Jesus in the church. The church is his body. He's the head. We're the body. We're a part of him. Jesus loves us. He cares for us because we're his body. A husband should do the same with his wife because it's a part of him. 
the two have become one. One, one flesh together. So nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she what? Respects her husband. Well, you know, Pastor, when my husband gives me something to respect him for, I'll start respecting him. Uh, I didn't see that in the verse. I didn't see that. I, some people add that, but I didn't see that in there. Well, I'll start loving my wife when she starts loving me. I didn't see that in there either. I didn't see any of that in there. I just saw that it said, you're to love your wife as Christ of the church. You're to be the head of your home as Christ the head of the church. You wives are supposed to be submitted to your husbands, respect them, just as the church does Christ. So here's what I want to start with tonight, help you understand about walking in a relationship of self-discipline and family management and starting off with the home. All right? I've said it many times. I'll keep saying it. It's interesting that it comes up tonight because I keep talking about this, but every time that you think about marriage, seriously, you should think about one thing. One thing, Christ in the church. This is the model. This is the picture. I tell people all the details about how to be the head, how to love your wife as Christ of the church, how to submit to your husband. But the heart of what helps you do that, remember the model. Because if you think of the model, every, every, every time in a relationship to your marriage, I'm going to show you if, you, if you think of the model, you'll fulfill what's needed in the marriage. What's the model? Husbands, raise your hand if you're a husband and you're married. So husbands, listen up. You are supposed to look at your wife like you're looking at the church. This is the model. Christ in the church. When you look at your wife, you're not supposed to look at somebody who's fleshly and carnal. You're not supposed to look at their flesh side or their human side or anything else in relationship to them as you relate to them as a husband. As you relate to them as a husband, you're supposed to look to them just like Jesus looks to the church. Go look at the Gospels. How did Jesus treat the church? Now listen, he treated the Pharisees different because they were not a part of his disciples. So we're not talking about how he treated everybody. We're talking about how he treats the church. How does he relate to the church? Well, he loves the church. Gave his life for the church. Sacrificed his very own will for the church. So you and I, as husbands, when we look at our wife, you should ask yourself this question. Would Jesus talk to the church that way? Would Jesus use that attitude with the church? Now, how many of you know if Jesus saw the church going a wrong direction that could hurt their life, he would lovingly tell them? We're not telling you that you ignore if your wife was going to go a direction that could hurt her life and you know it spiritually, that you would never say anything. If you love her, you're going to say something. You're going to do it in a way, though, that just like Jesus would, to try to help her. Are you going to force her to do what she's supposed to do? Well, ask yourself the question. What does Jesus force, force the church to do? Nothing. What do I force my wife to do? Nothing. I'm the example of the model of Jesus in the church as a husband to my wife. I'm not to force her to do anything. Because Jesus would not do so. There's different ways biblically, like Jesus does, that you can handle things with your spouse. Let me just throw a little side note in here, a little rabbit trail. You ready? What if, Pastor, I as a husband or I as a wife don't agree with my husband? And I know I'm, I'm biblically correct and they're wrong. What do I do? Two things. One, reveal truth to them. Two, pray for them. Period. I'm going to say it again. One, reveal truth to them. Anytime that somebody was walking out of line with the will of God in Jesus' day, what did he do? He revealed truth to them. What are you supposed to do? Reveal truth to them. 
Don't preach at them. Just simply reveal truth to them. Share what the Bible says because you're, you're truly, genuinely concerned about them. Don't want to see, obviously, what they're going to do hurt their life. So, one, you share truth. Two, you pray for them. But you don't force them to do anything. They have an individual will. They're an adult. They can choose to do what they want to do. You can't force them to do what you want them to do. Forcing them to do what you want them to do is not what Jesus would do. That's a dictator. That's not the head as Christ is the head of the church. Opposite direction. Ladies, when you look at your husband, guess what you're supposed to be looking at? You're supposed to be looking at Jesus. He isn't Jesus. You're supposed to look at him like that. I'm the church. He's Jesus. Would the church talk to Jesus this way? Now I know today, don't think about modern Christians. I'm talking about Bible Christians. I'm talking about the disciples and how they honored him and how they respected him. Even when they didn't agree with him. Right? When he told them in John 6, got to eat this body, drink this blood. Right? They didn't agree with him. They said, this is a hard saying. Correct? Many of the disciples left and followed him no more. But the immediate 12 did what? They stuck with him. So you got to realize, ladies, if I am married and I have a husband, I'm supposed to treat him the way the church is supposed to treat Jesus. With a submissive heart, with a respectful attitude, no matter what they do, as we're going to see in a minute. So on your notes, 1A, for Jesus to have absolute authority to homes, we must fully, underline it, submit to his way of marriage. You have to fully submit to his way of marriage. And again, that's the model. That's the model. Jesus looking at the church as you as a husband looking at your wife. The church looking at Jesus as you as a wife looking at your husband. That's the model. Christ in the church. And that's how we're supposed to walk this out. 1B, the model to look at, again, is Jesus in the church. Therefore, 1C, husbands should look to their wife as the church, seeing them just as Jesus would. 1D, wives should look to their husbands as the church looking to Jesus. So... I'm the head of my home as Christ is the head of church. If I look at my wife like I'm Jesus looking at the church, what's the head of the church do? What's Jesus the head of the church do? He's a prophet, priest, and a king. Prophet, he speaks in line with the word. You husbands still don't know this stuff, you better learn it. Because this is what you're going to be held accountable for. And Jesus, when you get to the place of the white throne, uh, excuse me, the judgment seat of Christ, is going to say, did you do what I told you to do as a husband? Oh, I didn't know. Oh, your pastor only taught it to you like, you know, for every year, like 15 times in a year. You didn't hear it? You didn't hear it taught? You weren't there to listen? You weren't there to get it? You just weren't listening? You didn't want to apply it? So realize this will make your life better. Head of your home, has Christ of the church. Prophet, you speak in line with the word. Priest, you love and minister to your wife. King, you don't rule over her. Jesus doesn't rule over the church. What did Jesus do all through his earthly ministry as a king? Only what he saw the Father doing. And he's the king of kings. What do good kings of the Old Testament do? Look to God. So as the king of my home, I'm to look to God and to make sure I'm keeping in line with God. What is his will for our life? Amen. Amen. Now, guess what? If I, as, if I as a head look to her like Jesus looks to the church, I'm not going to speak out of line with the word of God. If I think what, the words I'm about to speak, would Jesus speak those to the church? Well, no. Then what would Jesus say? Well, then you, when you say it, what's in line with the Bible, you don't have to quote the Bible. But when you say what's in line with the Bible, guess what you're fulfilling? The prophet role. How about the priestly role? When you look to your wife as Christ looks to the church and you obviously care for her and, and, and want to love on her and minister to her, etc., guess what you're doing? You're fulfilling the priestly role. Yeah. 
When you, when you look to her as the head in relationship, Jesus is looking to the church. Obviously, you want to take care of her. You want to get godly direction. You want to make sure you're in the will of God. You want to make sure your family's going the way of God. Ladies and gentlemen, listen carefully. You husbands better not be trusting your wives to get you direction from, from God for your family. Because she can be deceived and misled. Yeah, so can you. But God set it up this way. It doesn't mean she doesn't have input. You, you should get it. You should pray about it. But you need to know what you're walking out is in line with the Word of God and therefore in line with the will of God. Amen. If I'm looking at my wife like Jesus would look at the church, I want what's best for our family. I want what's best for our marriage. I'm going to find out from God how to do this. I'll fulfill the kingly role. What about the love role? Husbands, love your wife as Christ of the church. Again, if I treat her like the church, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to love her unconditionally. I'm going to love her sacrificially. And I'm going to love her continually. I'll walk it out. Right? Wives are to be submissive to their husbands and show respect and honor. And obviously, if you as a wife are looking at your husband like the church looks at Jesus, guess what you're going to do? You're going to respect him. Even when he does wrong. You're going to honor him. Doesn't mean you have to submit to him in things that are not of God. You submit to him as unto the Lord. So if I'm looking to him like the church looks to Jesus, how many know Jesus isn't going to subject the church to something that's not in line with God's will? So does a wife have to submit to something? Come on, honey. We're going to go down to 7-Eleven. Praise God. What you got that gun for? You're going to hang out in the car. We need some money to pay bills. I'm going to run in and rob the, rob the store. You're on your own, buddy. Well, I ain't submitting to that. That's out of line with God's will. Are you still here? So clearly you don't submit to things that aren't of God. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 6. One chapter over. Ephesians chapter 6. Point number 2 on your notes. Make up your mind that you and your family are going to serve the Lord. Say it. Make up your mind that you and your family are going to serve the Lord. Ephesians 6, 1-4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Now, I mean, you know, most kids aren't going to read Ephesians 6, 1, 2, and 3 and say, ooh, i got to live that out right there. I'm talking about whether they're still at home, being raised. Ooh, i got to live, some might, but very few are going to read that and say, man, i got to make sure I honor my father and mother. Why do we need to know this? Because guess what your parents need to be teaching your kids? Guess what you parents need to be teaching your kids? How many want it to go well with your child and see them live long? What do you got to be doing? You got to teach them how to honor the father and the mother of that home. And if they do, it's a commandment with a promise. And that promise is that, guess what? Things will be well with them and they will live long on this earth. I guarantee you, it's, it's a, you know, it's like, remember that old Cajun guy? I guarantee. I guarantee you. It's almost an absolute in every person's life. You see people whose things are not going well when they become adults or they don't live long. You can almost go back and find out about their childhood and find out they didn't honor their father or their mother. To honor them doesn't mean do what a parent says to do that may not again be godly. Right? In some cases. But I'm just telling you, honor means you do what? You show respect. You show reverence for them. Because you wouldn't be in existence and let alone know Jesus without them. So you honor father and mother. So the reason, verse 1, obey your parents and the Lord. Guess what your parents got to teach your kids to do? Obey you. Doing so, they're what? They're honoring you. And then it'll be well with them and they'll live long on the earth. 
Look at verse 4. And you fathers. So you dads don't ditch the, re, the, the excuse. Well, I'm not going to raise the kids you are. Uh, you know God says you're the head of the home. And yeah, you're, you know, your wife, if she's a stay-at-home mom, probably going to spend more time with those kids than you will during the daytime. But guess who's responsible to make sure they're being raised godly? Got awful quiet in here. I got one. Yeah, that's right. From Bill the dad. Thank you, Bill. Praise the Lord. How many know who's responsible? How many know who's responsible? Read the verse. Read the verse. You fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up. Who, who's supposed to do that? The fathers. Bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Who's responsible to do this? The fathers are. All right, look at your notes. 2A, as a family, you should discuss the cost of serving him, Jesus, and make a joint quality decision to do so. Amen. That we are going to honor God's word as a family and do what God wants us to do. Amen. 2B, you need to teach your children to honor you and it will be well with them and they will do what? Look at, look at 2C, fathers... Raise your hand if you're a dad. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Amen. C1, this is not an instruction to be passive. This doesn't mean become passive with your child. Uh, C2, this does not mean that your children will never be angry with you. But it means you should do nothing on purpose to stir them up. So how do I not provoke a child to wrath? Here's how. You do not discipline your children when you're angry. Fathers or mothers. If you're mad at your child for something they did, you get rid of your anger first. And then you biblically discipline. You still discipline. How many understand there's a difference between punishment and discipline? Question, is God going to punish you for any of your sin? If you repent, obviously Jesus already bore all your punishment. Why would we punish our kids? Right? Think of punishment. What did Jesus go through on the cross? Punishment. Should we punish our kids in such a manner? No. But you know what you got to do? Discipline. You have to correct. We're going to see more about that in a minute. But you got to understand this. Fathers, to not provoke your children to wrath means you don't do things intentionally to anger them, including disciplining them out of anger. Watch this, 2D, you are to bring them up, fathers. You're to bring them up in the training and admonition. Two things, training and admonition of the Lord. Training refers here to disciplinary correction. Admonition refers to instruction with warning. Disciplinary correction. What's disciplinary correction? Training is showing them how to do it. And if they do it wrong, you show them correctively how to fix it. And you help them walk it out by training them. Training is not teaching. Training is not teaching. Training is working with them to show them the right way and the wrong way. Amen? Amen. But the admonition of the Lord is you giving instruction with warning about the things the Bible teaches that they should be aware of. You instruct them why it's good to do things and you instruct them why it's bad to do things according to the word of God. Not many amens on this part tonight. Again, you bring them up in disciplinary correction. And that means by showing them what they do and what they don't do. Relationship to training, you're showing them how. 
Just like example, if you start teaching a child how to use power tools or how to use a hot iron, you know, if it's a gal ironing or whatever, or cook with a stove or whatever, you show them the right way, you show them the wrong way. Right? right? But admonition in the Lord means to give instruction from the Word with warning. So instruction means I'm going to show you things the Bible tells us clearly about how you should live your life and what you shouldn't do. And if you don't do what the Lord says, here's some things that could be the result of that. You're not supposed to hide that from your kids. Amen? So this is all a part of what you're to do in making up your mind that me and my family are going to do what? We're going to serve the Lord. Go to 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. Thought we were going to talk about self-discipline. We're going to get there. Hang in there. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Number 3, the Lord is monitoring your marriage and home life. What? Yeah. The Lord is monitoring your marriage and home life. Really? Let's read the verses. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 1. Wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands. Now, if you want to know the likewise, I'm not going to read it tonight. I understand. I, I believe, in my view, I believe the wife has the harder challenge in the marriage than the husband. I believe that. Because the husband, although has, he has a big responsibility, the wife has to show submission. Even when he's not doing right. You're about to read it. Even when he's not doing right. A lot of wives have gotten uh, counsel from me over the years, didn't like what their husband was doing, da-da-da-da-da. Okay, well, I get it. But are you doing your part? You don't understand. I said, I don't have to. Because it doesn't take away from what you're supposed to do. Yeah, but you don't know what they're putting me to. Listen, unless they're threatening your life or harming you physically. If you read the previous part of this, again, notice the very first phrase of of verse 1. Wives likewise. Likewise to what? Well, you go read chapter 2, you'll find out. He was actually talking about servants. In their day, there were servants who were slaves to those they served. You could be bought as a slave. And he said, even if... A sir, even if a, a owner mistreats you, you still maintain a submissive, a submissive attitude to that owner. Now, there's no place in the Bible says a woman should stay in a marriage where she's being physically harmed or threatened. It's not what I'm talking about. But even though you could go through some hardships with a marriage, guess what? The Bible tells us on both sides, you're supposed to continue to do your part no matter what they're doing. This is how God set it up. Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 again. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Tell your neighbor, not somebody else's. Be submissive to your own husbands. That even, look at it, even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. So without a word doesn't mean you don't ever not say anything. No, without a word means you don't get preachy to them. How I many you know nobody, when they're doing wrong, wants somebody to come up and start getting preachy to them? Right. Well, let me just tell you, man, you do this all the time. If you would just change this, things would get better in our marriage. Oh, that's really going to change them. That's really going to change Either side, doesn't matter, husband or wife. Are you listening? That's not how you approach somebody who is obviously not living right in a marriage, husband or a wife. Well, you always do this. Yep, that's going to change them in a heartbeat right there. Just, just that statement right there. You always do that. I guarantee you, they've, they've perked up. They've given you their full attention. They're ready to change right now. Not going to happen, is it? No, you without a word, meaning that you're not preaching to them. You're not through your words trying to change them. 
But through your conduct, how are you treating them, wives? Are you still being submissive? Are you still showing that heart of reverence? That heart of respect? Verse 2, when the husbands observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Reverence for God. Verse 3, ladies, do not let your adornment be merely outward. He didn't say that you should not want to take care of yourself for your husband, but you shouldn't just focus on that as many women do. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Is it okay to arrange the hair? Put on gold. Wear fine apparel. Yeah, I mean, if you go back to the Old Testament, you know how long a wife under the Old Testament was to prepare herself for her husband? Man, it was, it was I mean, literally in some cases months that they're preparing themselves to, to be ready for their marriage, for their husband. A year. So understand, it's not, that it's, it's, not, it's not wrong to do those things, but your focus isn't on those things. I said it's not wrong to do those things, but, but you, women, you got to realize you can't get caught up with all your outward appearance and focus on that. That's the point. Amen? Watch this. Don't let your adornment be merely outward for, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart. Who's the hidden person of the heart? It's your spirit man. We all have one, guys and girls. Let it be this hidden person of the heart. Watch this. Notice, with the incorruptible beauty, ladies, a beauty that can't be corrupted. Incorruptible beauty of what? A gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle and quiet. See, wives are not supposed to try to take the headship role. They're not supposed to try to stand up and change their husbands and make them, well, bless God, I'm getting the frying pan out. If you don't start straightening it up, they ain't going to work. I said, it ain't going to work. You're supposed to what? Operate with a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. Amen. Verse 5, for in this very manner, notice this, the holy women, who holy women? Women who set themselves apart to God. Notice they trusted, underline it, who trusted in God also adorned themselves. When a wife shows this heart of submission, of a gentle and quiet spirit, what is she doing? She's trusting God. She's trusting God. Watch, being submissive to their own husbands. Six, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. See, the devil wants to make you afraid to submit to your husband. And again, we're not going to submit to anything that's not godly, but to lose that heart, that heart of submission to your husband. Ladies, if you're trying to be the domineering one, well, my husband just won't be the head. And he never will as long as you keep trying to take that role. It don't mean there's things you can't do with your family, your kids, etc. But you got to continue to do everything you can to submit to them. Don't just, don't just go around praying for God here. Well, bless God, he won't pray, so I'm going to pray. Why don't you go to your husband and say, why don't you pray about this? Because right. if all you do is step up and pray and don't ever ask them to pray, well, what has God told you? Well, nothing yet. Well, pray. Right. Let's pray together till we hear from the Lord. Right. Verse 7, husbands likewise. Excuse me? Likewise. Excuse me? Likewise. In the same manner. So just as the wives did, so should the husbands do. What if the wife's not submitting? Submitting. What if the wife's not doing what she should do in the Lord? The husband should still be doing what he's supposed to do. His conduct is, a, is not supposed to change. 
Husbands likewise, you dwell with them with understanding. Guess what that word means in the Greek? Learn your wife. Don't believe this stupid lie. Husbands, you can't understand women. The Bible told you to learn your wife. The Bible told you to. The Bible told you you should know what upsets her. You should know what makes her happy. You should know what helps her feel secure. You should know what helps her to learn to walk in trust with you. You're supposed to be the head. If you're the head of a corporation and you do a good job of running that corporation, you care about the people that work with you. You learn about them. You learn what you can to try to be a help to them. Because guess what, ladies and gentlemen, if you're helping them, they're helping you. If you're helping your wife, they're helping you. So husbands are to dwell with their wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife, showing this honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now listen, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel means I again, if she's not living according to the word, as the head of not to come along and say, you're going to do this whether you want to do it or not. That's not treating her like a weaker vessel. Weaker means more fragile, easy to break. You're supposed to handle her with kid gloves. So you're to give honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, being heirs together the grace of life. So what if, listen, now we're getting at the conclusion of verses 1 through 7. Wives and husbands. What if the wives and the husbands just do what God assigned them to do? Then your prayers will not be hindered. Your prayers will not be hindered. Any, any couples here want to see that their prayers are not hindered? Well, why would they be hindered? God couldn't respond. How, how come God couldn't respond? Because you're not walking together in faith, and therefore he's watching what's going on in the home. Amen. 3A. Now listen, wait a minute. Let me back up. I already hear, I already hear the cogs turning. So that means if I pray for something, my husband can keep it from coming to pass? No, not for you individually. But what you're trying to agree for together won't come to pass because the two of you aren't in agreement. If you're not walking together as one, you're not in agreement. How can two walk together unless they're agreed? So this isn't talking about individual prayers. This is talking about what you pray about together as a couple. Better amen than that. 3A, how you live does make a big difference. 3B, both wives and husbands are to deal with their own, underline it, their own personal conduct. Underline it. Both wives and husbands are to what? Deal with their own personal conduct, not their spouses. See, wives, what if my husband ain't obeying the word? What are you supposed to focus on? Doing my part. I'm not supposed to focus on them. I'm not supposed to be upset because they're not living right. What am I supposed to do? My part. And vice versa. Husbands, what if your wife isn't doing her part? You're not supposed to focus on her. You're not supposed to try to make her do her part. You're supposed to just do your part. Both wives and husbands are to deal with their own personal conduct, not their spouses. Everybody shout amen. Amen. I said shout amen. Amen. 3C, choosing to live a godly life will help you to see your prayers work and not be hindered. Say thank you, Jesus. Go to Proverbs 29. Let's get into children a little bit. Proverbs 29. I know your kids will love these verses. Proverbs 29. All right, listen up, kiddos. Proverbs 29. Don't go to sleep, parents. Number four, the Lord is fully expecting you to lead, guide, and raise your children biblically, not just be their friends. Not just be their friends. Proverbs 29, you there? Verse 15, 
29.15, the rod and rebuke give wisdom. The rod and rebuke give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Ooh. You need to underline or highlight that, ladies and gentlemen. A child left to himself brings shame to his mother. If you don't use a rod and rebuke to correct your children, they will bring shame to you. Things will not turn out well. The word rod, by the way, just so you know, the Bible's referred to as a rod as well. But if you look that up, it's like the state, you know, in Texas, most parents, uh, most uh, people today that are, have grown up in context in the area that we live in or in the South uh, would understand this word switch. What's a switch? I'm going to go get a switch. What'd they do? They went out to the tree. They got a branch off. They cleared all the, all the rough stuff off, rough, all the hard stuff. And they, man, they swatch you with that thing, boy, and it would sting. That's the word rod. That's the word rod. So understand the word rod. Now, I don't mean like beating them, Kathy, to leave marks all over their body. But the word rod, it means that it has to have a stinging effect. You understand? It means a stinging effect. If I spank my child and they laugh at me and say thank you and walk away, that wasn't discipline. But you don't obviously harm your child physically. You don't abuse them. You don't bruise them. Come on, somebody. But you got to do, you still, you know, I, I saw this on a national news the other day. There's a, a school somewhere that's bringing the paddle back. Anybody remember the paddle growing up? Yeah. How many of you lived through the paddle? You're still, you're still alive? Yeah, see, if they bent you over and did it right, man, guess what? It just stung like the dickens. You didn't walk away anything busted or broken. So understand, parents, the rod and the rebuke give wisdom. What do they give? They, they don't give it to you. They give it to your child. What do they give your child? They give your child wisdom, but a child left himself brings what? Shame to his mother. Look at verse 17. Correct your son and he will give you what? Wow. Wow. You want to know why parenting can be so difficult for some parents? They don't correct their children properly and they get no rest because their kids just do whatever they want. If you don't correct them, if you don't correct them biblically correctly, Guess what? They're going to do whatever they want. You ain't going to have no rest, husband or wife. You ain't going to have no rest. But if you correct your son, he will give you what? Rest. Yes, he will be what? He'll be a delight to your soul. Look at that. He'll be a delight to your soul, the Bible says. If you do what? If you bring correction. If you bring correction, Bible correction. Back up to chapter 15. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. I'm going to give you a basic Raising Kids 101 Bible class. You ready? Yes. Here's, how you, here's how you raise your kids. Basic 101. If your child does that which is good and right in the sight of God, what do you do? Reward them. Reward them. Love on them. You did good. Hug them. If your child does wrong according to the Word of God and they know it, what do you do? Correct them. What if you don't bring correction? Yeah, but I've already corrected them 50 times today. Okay, make it 51. Because I'll guarantee it won't take long after a while. They're going to realize this is not what I can do and get away with. And what you, guess what you're going to finally get into? Rest. Rest. How many believe the Bible? Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. A soft answer, soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up what? Anger or strife. 2. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth what? I apologize. I went to the wrong verses. Go to chapter 22. I'm ahead of myself. I'm on number 5 now. Go to 22. 
sorry, Proverbs 22. We're still talking about disciplining your children. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So train again is to show him the right way. Show him the right way. Show him the way according to God. Number four in your notes. The Bible is our source for correction and reproof. 4A, the Bible is our source for correction and reproof. 4B, a child left to himself ends up being a shame to his parents. 4C, if you correct your children, you will enjoy them and they will give you rest. 4D, you should train up your child in the way of the Lord and in the way or occupation that he should go. Then believe God that he will live that way. You mean I tell them what their occupation should be? No, it don't mean you, ch- you choose their occupation. But if they're wanting to go a direction with an occupation that you know isn't godly, you're going to say something. I want to be a bartender. No, you're not. Come on. I want to be a crook. No, you're not. Wrong occupation. Appreciate all your men's about that. All right, Proverbs 29. Number five. In your family and in general, you need to learn to communicate. Need to learn to communicate. 29.11. A fool vents all his feelings. What does a fool do? Vents all his what? Feelings. So what's he speaking out of? His feelings. His soul. But a wise man holds them back. How many want to be the wise man? Yes. Not the fool. Yes. Look at verse, uh, now go to chapter 15, 1 and 2 that we were just looking at. Learn to communicate. Meaning what? Learn to keep your mouth shut when you need to keep your mouth shut. When you're all caught up in your emotions and feelings, that's not a good time to open your mouth. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. I don't know why they're so mad at me. Well, what are you saying all the time? Doesn't mean necessarily you're creating the anger all the time, but if you're saying things that ain't right, it'll stir up what? Anger. Two, the tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. So what would the mouth of a fool be? One controlled by their emotions and feelings and what they say. What would the mouth of the wise be? Those who know to speak in line with the word of God. Amen. Number five, learn to communicate. 5A. You must learn to communicate without venting your feelings. Keep the vents closed. Keep the vents closed. When you get angry or mad, close the vents. Don't release it. Are you listening? 4B, there is no reason why you have to be angry or aggressive in order to speak to your speak in order to speak your heart or deal with others. Because you're speaking your heart out of your spirit, man, you're not speaking out of your feelings. You're speaking out of what you know is right in your heart. And if you're doing that, then there is no reason to get angry. Why do you get angry and aggressive? You're speaking out of your soul, not your heart. You're not taking time to slow down. Be quick to hear, slow to speak. 5C, learn to give a soft answer as this actually turns away wrath and can calm the storm. Yeah, but you don't know how they're talking to me. How many would like to see it change? Yeah, then learn how to give a soft answer and it can calm the storm. Down to same chapter, down to verse 13. Number six, learn to laugh. Shake your neighbor and say, you need to learn to laugh more. 
15, 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. The heart, verse 14 of him, who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. 15, all the days of the afflicted are evil, but he who is of a merry heart has a continual feast. You can be a fool and be mad and angry and upset about life, or you can be wise and you can actually have a feast and you can even have a cheerful countenance by being of a merry heart. In other words, laughing once in a while. The Bible even tells us that a merry heart does good like a medicine. Did you know that when you're frustrated, angry, and mad, go, go check it out. Absolute. When you're mad, frustrated, angry, and responding to all that, do you know your brain is letting off deadly chemicals into your body? But when you actually control that, don't get controlled by that, don't release that, and you start laughing and become merry, guess what your body does? It starts, your brain does. It starts releasing positive chemicals into your body. Number six, again, learn to laugh. Tell your neighbor, time to start learning to laugh more. 6A, learn to laugh at yourself and not at the expense of others. Learn to laugh at yourself and not at the... Well, what if they're making fun of me? Well, listen, just get beyond them. You know, get beyond them. You can laugh at yourself and move on. They shouldn't be making fun of you, as you're going to see in a minute. But you got to learn to laugh at yourself. When I started learning to laugh at myself for all the mistakes I made and dumb things I did, you know, dropping something, whatever, I quit arguing and fighting with myself and others. 6B, don't be a practical joker at, or a constant teaser. This does not mean be a practical joker or constant teaser. Don't be pulling practical jokes on people. Guess what? That's at their, their expense again, and that isn't always funny. Don't be a practical joker or a constant teaser. This kind of laughter is always at someone else's expense. 6C, learn to laugh together. Learn to laugh together, both in fun and in when things get difficult. Hallelujah. And if you're having a hard time laughing, just call Bill. He'll give you a dad joke. Praise the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 1 in closing. Come on. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Well, almost in closing. I apologize. We've got one more set of verses after that. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Hallelujah. 1 Timothy chapter 1, number 7 on your notes. Be sure to work constantly. This is important. Be sure to work constantly at keeping a good conscience because without it, you and your family will go shipwrecked. Work constantly at keeping a good conscience because without a good conscience, you and your family could go shipwrecked. 1 Timothy 1.18, this I charge this charge, excuse me, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you wage the good warfare. Look at 19. Having faith and a good conscience. Underline it. Having faith and a good conscience. What's faith? Trusting in what God said, doing what he said, and living with a good conscience, which some have rejected. Some have rejected what? A good conscience. And therefore, they have what? They have, they, they have, some have rejected concerning the faith, this good conscience, and they've suffered shipwreck. 
What's a good conscience? You listen to the voice of your spirit. What's the conscience? The voice of your spirit. How do you live with a good conscience? When your spirit man is dealing with you that you said or did something wrong, correct it. If your spirit man is directing you to do something that you know you have a peace about and is right, follow it. Listen to your spirit man. If you listen to your spirit man before you open your mouth, you'll walk with a good conscience. Because your spirit is already trying to stop you from opening your mouth and saying stuff you shouldn't say or do. Right? So if you took time to listen to your conscience, you would already stop a lot of the problems in your life because now you're following out a good conscience. You're listening to your spirit man. Your spirit man will never mislead you. Any amens on that? 7A. There is a responsibility here to your children and spouse, not just to yourself. In the case of a relationship of a marriage and raising kids, if you listen to your conscience, you'll relate to them properly. Amen. 7B, if you live a life worthy of shipwreck, then you are jeopardizing all those who live with you. Did you listen to that? If you're living a life worthy of shipwreck, you're not paying attention to your conscience. It can not only affect you in the case of a family, you can also jeopardize those who live with you. Because of how you're acting, it can affect other people around you. 7C, if you grow cool or backslide, then you could be the one who brings your family down to your level. Don't want to do that. Listen to your conscience. Listen to your conscience. Listen to your conscience. Listen to your conscience. I'm waiting for amens. Listen to your conscience. Amen. Listen to that voice of your spirit, man. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. No one engaged in warfare. Say we're in a battle. So I'm not engaged in warfare. Yeah, you are. You're in a battle zone. You're in a war zone. No one engaged in warfare, notice this, does what? Entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Does not entangle himself with the affairs of his life so that he may do what? Please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Who enlisted you? Jesus did. Eight on your notes. Learn to deal with the affairs of this life without being entangled again with the yoke of bondage. There are affairs of life you have to deal with. There are things in life you have to deal with. But don't get entangled with them, serving them, and caught up with them again. Deal with what you got to deal with, but don't let any of this stuff become your God. Amen? 8A. So let's go through a powerful list here comprised by Dr. Barclay. Dealing with self-discipline. A1. You must stay on yourself to be spiritual and stay in the Bible and prayer. What is spiritual? What is spiritual? Led by my spirit. So if I have to stay on myself to be spiritual, that means i got to keep dealing with myself to be spirit governed by my spirit man. A2, you must keep your emotions well balanced and stay wholesome in all areas of your life. A3, you must keep yourself physically fit and maintain a well balanced diet. I knew I wasn't going to get one amen on that. I got one little one at the end from Brandy. I, I just, in my mind, when I read it, I go, watch this. Nobody will amen this one right here. Nobody. I'm reading it again. <laughs> you must keep yourself physically fit and maintain a well-balanced diet. If you don't, your body's going to wear down and it's going to affect you spiritually. It'll affect your life. It'll hinder you spiritually. Uh, A4, ask God and your family to help you. Oh, you're going to like this one. 
Ask God and your family to help you to be prompt, precise, and organized. I got a few more amens on that one. Guess what? Being prompt removes stress and frustration. Come on. Being somebody who is prompt, precise, and organized, you want to know where most frustration cause, is causing families? Where's that at? I don't know. Where'd you put? I don't know. Didn't I tell you to put that in a folder? Yeah, but I never had time. I just laid it somewhere. Now you got to try to find it. I'm going to tell you what, man. I learned a long time ago. Of course, thankfully, I had a dad who was pretty organized to be in ministry. A lot of what people want to be in ministry, and I guarantee you what they think they do till they find out what the majority of ministry is really all about. You don't realize how much of it is organization of paperwork and all this stuff, legal, et cetera, et cetera. You can lose your ministry over it. Some have. Well, ladies and gentlemen, how much frustration you want to cause in your life by not being organized? How about asking people to help you? How about being more prompt? What is a proverb from Dr. Barclay from SMTI about being on time? Okay, so that's true. That's the five P's, but that's not what I'm talking about. Excuse me? So this is a Barclay proverb. 15 minutes early is being on time. Write it down. 15 minutes early is being on time. See, if you always look at where you got to be or leave the house at such and such a time, and that's what you shoot for and you constantly are late, I'm going to tell you why. Because you're always going to wind up allowing other little things you shouldn't or some things may happen you didn't plan on that's going to cause you to be late. But what if you plan actually to be 15 minutes early? You'd be amazed how much times you'd be on time. You'd eliminate a lot of frustration in your life. Appreciate all your amens on that. It will help you. 8B, dealing with others, do unto others as you want them to do to you, and you'll reap what you sow. B1, you must be an instant forgiver. We ought to say it about 50 times. You must be an instant forgiver. Don't hold grudges. Forgive instantly. B2, you must be courteous, even in times of disagreements and admonitions. What's an admonition? Again, admonition is a declaration with warning. Sometimes people may say something to you, warning you that obviously of something that could hurt your life. Well, you need to be what? You still need to keep uh, yourself in a position of being courteous, even when you're being admonished, because they're just trying to help you. Uh, B3, you must constantly work at having and showing understanding and compassion. You got to work at it. I said you got to work at it. B4, you must have a set of rules and only one standard by which you run the household. Did you get that? You got to have a set of rules and only one standard by which you rule the household. Meaning what? Run the household. Because you don't treat one different than the other. The, over, the rules overall have to be the same. You can't favor one over somebody else or treat somebody differently. They need to be the same. C, deal, uh, dealing with your surroundings and environment. So we've dealt with our self-discipline, dealt with others. What about our surroundings and environment? Good question. Let's look at it. C1, everyone enjoys cleanliness and order, even those who are not too disciplined in it. Even if you're not real disciplined in it, I will guarantee you, if you go to a Bucky's restroom as opposed to most other car, most other uh, gas station restrooms, you'll be grateful for the Bucky's. Yes, I love Bucky's. <laughs> so even if you're not somebody really good at doing that stuff, isn't it amazing how much you enjoy it? If you're not in Texas, just forget what I just said about the Bucky's thing. You probably have no idea, but maybe you'll learn. Bucky's are starting to branch out. 
Everyone enjoys cleanliness and order. Nobody enjoys disorder. Nobody does. C2, fix little broken things that hinder, harass, and annoy. C3, pick up after yourself. This is just common decency, even in the house of God. Even in the house of God. And the pastor and all who cleaned the church said, pick up after yourself. This is just common decency. Common decency. Why would you leave stuff laying around? I met Cracker Barrel the other day. I'm waiting on our dinner three different times. How many, how many ladies buy these bags for all the different seasons they sell? They got a new one out for Christmas already. I saw it. I picked it up three times. So they, they have an outer bag and all these other bags inside it with a sign on it, you know, showing the bags for sale. And I'm standing on I'm not telling you. I'm just saying it's, it's just in me. And the bag falls down. Falls out in the, out in the, out in the you know. Way. I walked over, I picked it up, propped it back up there. I go back over, stand waiting for over a little while. It slides down. I go back over, I pick it up. It fell over a third time. I picked it up a third time. It's just decency. Why, why won't people just do some little simple, actual decent act like it? You'd be amazed how much difference it'll make. Especially in your own environment. I said, especially in your own environment. Uh, C4, put things back. Even at the church. <laughs> Come on. Put things back where they belong. Family search parties are, are a real bore. Pastor search parties are a real bore. Oh, I can't wait for our new building. It's going to be so much better arranged. I'll tell you, out there in that storage shed, we have such little room. I go out there looking for something that I know where it's supposed to be, and it's not there. And I'm like, here we go. Next hour, pastor's on a search party trying to find something somebody used and didn't put it back. Put things back where they belong. At your home, put them where they belong. You're going to save a lot of hassle for everybody, including yourself. C5, clean up after yourself. Wipe the sink down, rinse your dishes, etc. Do a little something. Because if everybody cleaned up after themselves, guess what you're doing? You're taking that much of a load off of somebody else. And you're helping one another. Last but not least, dealing with stress and pressure. D1, learn to cast your cares on Jesus and then do it. D2, create a personal environment that in turn creates a positive attitude in you. Thus relieving some of the the stress and pressure. Listen, create a personal environment to the best of your ability around where you have control. Create a personal environment that that in turn creates a positive attitude in you. And thus you'll relieve some of the stress and pressure. D3, let your loved ones know what you are going through so they can not only pray with you, but give you some extra understanding during this time. D4, be sensitive to your family while you're going through a pressured time. When you're going through a pressured time, you still need to be sensitive to the rest of your family. Don't Because tr- otherwise you're going to treat them bad. And that's just going to make things worse for you. Five, be sensitive to your family uh, if one of them is going through a pressured time. Did you get that? Four, if I'm going through a pressured time, be sensitive to your family. If they're going through a pressured time, be sensitive to your family. It'll help everybody. Six, realize that even young children can have a bad day. And all the kids said, even they can have a bad day. 
Seven, find ways to relieve some of the stress and pressure, such as a good workout. I know you're all going to run to that one. Such as a good workout. Or a small, a small getaway. Working on a fun project, a hobby, or a craft. You can find ways to do things that will help relieve pressure. Can I get an amen? If Kathy's at Lake Murray, you know what she's doing. Praise God. We help you at all tonight. Some great things, church. Some great things for self-discipline. Come on. In the day we live in and for our families that will help us to stay strong and not let the effects of these last days get to us and cause us to lose our sanity, to lose our faith in God, to lose the blessings of God for our life. It ain't worth it. Say it's not worth it. And a lot of the things we allow to affect us so much, I will promise you, think about this. When you get to heaven, you're going to look back and say, that's what I was upset about. I tell people this all the time as it relates to their life. Whatever you're dealing with, look at it and say, in the light of all eternity, in the light of all eternity. Now, if it's something that could affect my eternity, we need to deal with it. But in the light of all the eternity, is it really, a, is it really an issue? No. Why are we so upset about it? Well, it's my finances. Well, it's my, it's my job. It's my this or that. All this stuff's going to burn up. Don't let it so affect you that it causes you to lose your peace and your joy and your contentment in God. Because guess what? When you lose all that, you don't think straight. It affects your ability to hear your spirit, man. It affects your ability to hear answers from God. And the more you can allow that stuff to be relieved from you, the quicker and the better off you're going to be and the easier it's going to be to hear from the Lord and walk out what he has for your life. Just like you did tonight. We should be rejoicing always. You don't wait till the walls fall down. And then start shouting. Too many Christians do. Too many Christians do. F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth, Christ the healer. He said the reason that a lot of Christians aren't healed, they're waiting for the wall to fall down before they shout. But that's not how it works. When you shout, the walls come down. Stand your feet. Praise God. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.